Thanks for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and follow at Church in the City. A Christmas miracle is about to be performed before your eyes because I'm probably going to preach for 15 minutes. And those who know um, how much I love to share the Word of God, that is indeed a Christmas miracle. I've entitled my sermon this morning, A Tale of Two Kings, which admittedly is a poor rewording of a very famous Charles Dickens novel of a very similar name. But I think it describes very effectively and powerfully what Luke is trying to do in his gospel, Luke chapter 2, that Mel read for us a few moments ago. In Luke chapter 2, he introduces us to two kings, both of whom were regarded by their followers as having come to save the world. Essentially, what Luke is doing in that second chapter is he's pitting two kings against one another by asking the questions, which one of these two is the true king? Which one has come to save humankind? In verse 1 of Luke chapter 2, he introduces us to the very first candidate. And it says there in verse 1, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Caesar Augustus is the first candidate of this king of the world, this true king. Who was Caesar Augustus? He was the adopted son of Julius Caesar that many of us know. A, name, a famous salad was named after him uh, many years later. Uh, the adopted son of Julius Caesar. That wasn't in my notes. That was for free. That just came to me in the moment. Uh, the adopted son of Julius Caesar. And Augustus Caesar came into power immediately following his father's assassination. And immediately, because of Augustus Caesar's rule, he, he led Rome into this 200-year period of incredible prosperity and peace known historically as the Pax Romana, or Roman peace. The, the entire nation enjoyed this incredible time of, 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 of peace and prosperity. And because of that, Augustus Caesar was hailed by the Roman citizens as a god. In fact, Augustus Caesar, Augustus wasn't his original name. It was a name that he adopted for himself, which, by the way, means majestic. And Augustus decided to have coins minted with his image on along with the words in Latin, which when translated into English means son of the divine. Augustus clearly didn't seem to have self-esteem issues. The second candidate that Luke introduces us to as the potential savior of the world is found in verse 7. And it tells us that while Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem, Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. This was clearly a much less promising candidate. On the one hand, we have Augustus Caesar, who is a powerful man, in fact, the most powerful man on the planet at the time because he was ruling the most powerful empire. And then uh, opposing him is this other king who was a baby lying hungry and cold in a feeding trough. On the one hand, we have Augustus, who was known around the world, and we have this baby who is completely anonymous. In fact, we don't even know his name until verse 21 at the very end of this account. On the one hand, we have Augustus, who was born a Roman citizen and adopted by Julius Caesar and therefore lived in the greatest of of all palaces. And on the other hand, we have this baby that was born to parents who were homeless and unwed in this small town, born as a Jew in this small town called Bethlehem, an unwalled town that was on the edge of the Roman Empire. 
The contemporary view at the time of a savior was a political leader who would lead the nation into a period of peace and prosperity. And as I mentioned earlier, that's exactly what Augustus Caesar did for the nation of Rome. And as a result, he was, he was heralded as, as God. There was actually an inscription that was found that was dated back to 9 BC that argued that the entire Roman calendar be centered around Augustus Caesar's birth. This inscription, when translated into English, goes on to say this. Listen to the words that are particularly used to describe Augustus Caesar. It is hard to tell whether the birth of the most divine Caesar Augustus spells more of joy or benefit. This being a date that we could probably, without fear of contradiction, equate with the beginning of all things. It goes on to say, Augustus is of highest good. And he has been filled with divine power and is a savior who has made war to cease and who shall put an end, sorry, and who shall put everything in peaceful order. And then it finally concludes with this statement. The birth of our God, meaning Augustus, the birth of our God signaled the beginning of good news for the world because of him. It was clear that Romans worshipped Augustus Caesar. They centered their entire lives around him and they looked solely to him for peace and joy and prosperity and stability. He was their savior. And before we dismiss this as a kind of an interesting history lesson but doesn't really have much implication to you, I want to suggest that mankind, since the beginning of time, has perpetuated this salvation narrative. We are looking for, for saviors to find our sense of peace and, our di- and, and identity and dignity and purpose. The salvation narrative of we or I can be better, in fact, we or I deserve to be better, and we or I can do it, is, a, is something that we see constantly throughout world history. We look at at big national uprisings like the French Revolution, for example, where where people revolted and and rose up against the, the, the powers that be fighting for equality and freedom and brotherhood. We hear it in, our, in, the, in the messages of our favorite or least favorite political candidates and their campaign slogans claiming better leadership and education for all and, and, and eradication of, of, of hardship and poverty. We hear it from those around us at work who, who justify working 80 hours a week or the need to fudge ethical boundaries in order to close the deal because culture is demanding that we know more and we earn more and we work harder, but there's no measure of when enough is enough. And if all of that isn't enough, we even hear it in the message of our favorite Disney movies when Cinderella tells us, no matter how your heart is grieving, If you keep on believing, the dream that you wish will come true. My son this morning was singing, my son this morning was singing a line from the song that he will perform at his school concert on Thursday. And even that has some message of this kind of salvation narrative. The line of the song goes, I believe in the power of you and I. We can be better and we can do it is this is this song, this this declaration that resonates throughout world history. Much of what I've mentioned is good. In fact, much of what I've mentioned, I would even go so, go so far as to say it is even necessary. It is necessary that we provide education for all. 
It is necessary that we eradicate poverty. It is necessary that we maximize our knowledge and earning potential. It's perhaps not necessary that we believe in impossible dreams, but it's necessary to have those things. But can I say that those things can never and should, should never be our savior? They are pseudo-saviors that, that somehow find their way into the center of our hearts. And I want to tell you, friends, those are unforgiving taskmasters. When we fall short of the expectations that they place on us, they drive us until we collapse. We need a true Savior, not a band-aid. We need a Savior who is able to save us at our very core. Our situations are far deeper and far more complex than what these pseudo-saviors can do for us. We need one who can live at the center of our lives without ever destroying us. So Caesar Augustus seemed to fit the bill as the savior king. He was viewed with such high esteem that his birthday was celebrated with great joy. He was regarded as, 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 a, of, as of one of the highest good. And he was thought to be filled with divine power for the benefit of all people. Romans viewed him as their savior because he caused wars to cease and he welcomed him peace. And his birth was considered good news to all. But the angels disagreed. In verse 10, despite appearances, they declare who this true Savior is. Do not be afraid, the angels said to the shepherds. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. And then verse 13 says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. 2,000 years later, it is Jesus' birthday, not Augustus' birthday, that we celebrate And it is Jesus' birthday that is the source of greatest joy. And just as an aside, can I say it is Jesus' birthday around which we center the calendar, not Augustus's. Augustus got a month, Jesus gets the entire year. And it is Jesus, not Augustus or any king like him, that is the one of highest good. He is God incarnate, which means he is God with us. He is God in the flesh. And it is Jesus Not Augustus or any king like him that is filled or who is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. As Luke would later write in Acts chapter 10, because Jesus was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. And it is Jesus, not Augustus or any king like him who is the savior of the world because he is the one who welcomes in true peace. Not peace that is attributed to circumstance, but peace that is described by the Hebrew word shalom, which means wholeness and completeness. Romans 5 tells us that because of Jesus, we have peace with God. We, we, we find completeness and wholeness with God through our relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is Jesus' birth, not the birth of Augustus, that is the gospel, the good news of great joy for all people, as the angels said. This gospel, this good news, is the news that firstly, Jesus is God. 
In Matthew's account of the first Christmas, he writes, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That truth alone can be the the, the source of of endless sermons, but the one thing I want us to focus on is, is God with us speaks of God's incredible grace. God did not come with sword in hand to judge, but God came with nail-scarred hands to forgive and to save. This gospel, this good news, is not just news that God is with us or that Jesus is God, but it's news that Jesus is one of us. Have you, ever, have you ever had those moments where you've been through some of the most difficult and traumatic experiences and you tell your friends but no one truly understands until you find that one person who's been through exactly what you have and suddenly you realize, I'm not alone. Jesus is that someone. The Bible tells us that Jesus is not out of touch with our, with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing. He's experienced it all, yet he never sinned. This gospel, this good news is the news, not only that Jesus is God or, or, or that Jesus is, is, is one of us, but it is the news that Jesus is with us. God is near. God is close. God is intimate. As Eugene Peterson says, God has moved into the neighborhood through the person of Jesus Christ. Friends, I want to say to assume that Augustus Caesar or any political leader like him, or to assume that any cause, no matter how good or no matter how worthy or necessary, or any achievement or any possession could be our savior and lead us into peace and help us to find worth and value and dignity is to completely misunderstand the situation at hand. We need a savior to rescue us from our sin. There are so many definitions that have been given over the course of history that define the word sin. My favorite definition is from a Danish theologian. And he says this, sin is finding your identity, finding your worth, finding your value, finding your dignity in anything or anyone but God. And if that definition is is true, which I think it is, I think it's accurate, I believe it to be accurate, then it's clear to see how sin separates us from relationship with God. But Jesus, through his death and resurrection, destroyed the power of sin and enabled us to be reunited with God and find our worth and value and dignity by being rooted in and developing from a relationship with God. We spend a lifetime searching for answers to questions around worth and value and identity and dignity. We ask questions like, am I valued or am I worth it? God says in Romans 5, absolutely yes. He demonstrated his love for you in this, that while you were still a sinner, while you were still separated from God, Jesus died for you. Am I acceptable? Am I lovable? And again, the answer is is yes. Not because of anything you've done or because of anything you've earned or because you've checked the boxes, but because of God's incredible grace. The Bible teaches that when we put our faith in Jesus, this great exchange takes place. Our unrighteousness is placed upon Jesus and Jesus' perfection and, 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 and power and love is placed upon us. We hide in the perfection of Jesus. Am I valued? Am I acceptable? Am I unique? What is my purpose? 
What do I get to do? And again, God answers this question in Ephesians chapter 2. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Finally, in verse 21, we eventually hear the name of this true Savior King. It says, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was given the name Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. In many cultures, names play a very significant role because it speaks to the identity of the person. And that certainly is true in Jewish biblical culture. Jesus' name means the Lord saves. Augustus was known as as Caesar. He was a worldly ruler. Jesus is known as Savior. He is God's true Perhaps you're here today and you know something of the, the exhaustion and the demands that this culture and world place upon it, as it place, places upon us as we chase after worldly rulers and these pseudo-kings and pseudo-saviors. And I want to suggest to perhaps today, I want to challenge you, perhaps today is the day that you give up chasing after something that will never fulfill you. And you open your heart to the true gift, the free gift that comes from God the Father. It comes in the form of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Lord saves. Thanks again for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and visit us at churchinthecity.us.